0: Oh, I
1: fucked up. All right, we have an intro. It's
0: really warm in here. Welcome to STEM Culture Podcast. Today, we're talking about writing and science with a focus on tips and tricks to provide clarity in your writing with your hosts, Danny, Kaylee,
1: and Zach. Uh, This episode goes out to all of those of us struggling with writer's block and shit. I forgot what I was going to say next.
2: Today, we are covering how scientific papers can be thought of as stories and how we, the scientists, are authors and have to communicate our ideas clearly to our peers and the public. We will also discuss flow and the use of active and passive voice. As a disclaimer, we are using a variety of source material that we will list on our website. Remember that writing is often a reflection of your research group, and you will often have to mimic the style of your PI.
0: Specifically, we will discuss the importance of clarity in a narrative, plus tips and tricks to improve your writing in science, including a discussion on passive versus active voice. A question to get us started. Why is good writing important? What do you think good writing is? And what does that look like to you? So actually, three questions. All questions. So when I first saw this,
2: it reminded me of something that my boss told me about, which are the three R's of good science. And in my attempt to remember what the third R was, I found that the, it comes from an article um, called "The Three Rs of Cancer Research." Um, but I really do think, and the article does talk about this, that it is applicable to all types of writing, especially in the STEM field. And the three R's are rigor, reproducibility, and robustness. Uh, so rigor, obviously, we want it to be high quality, work when you're writing about something, your science should be reflective of how good the quality of your work is and what kind of advancements it makes to the field. It should be clear enough, especially in the methods, that it is somewhat reproducible, or it invites the reader to contact you as the author if there needs to be more details given in order for that experiment to be reproduced. And it should be robust in that it is really thought out. It does fit into the scheme of current research, and it takes into consideration current findings and, and current re- work being done.
0: What about you, Zach?
1: Uh, to me, I think it's really important to effectively communicate with not only just our peers, but also the general public. And that's one thing I've been encouraged with when writing is to avoid the use of jargon, because
0: mm-hmm. I know
1: not everyone knows what stupid acronym I use to represent a certain method. So it's handy to communicate that effectively in text and in person, because if you can come to these thoughts and conclusions on your own when writing, you can easily say that in public, maybe like your elevator speech, for example. Um, As for what I think good writing is, it's anything that's easily understandable and easily digested and clear. Uh, The big focus, I think, should be on clarity here of where... Where are you taking this conversation, and what is the end point you're trying to get the reader to conclude at, or the same conclusion you're hoping they agree with you? Um, and what's it look like to me? Uh, Times New Roman, 12 font, <laughs> spiced, uh, paragraph markings, uh, a nice title, not too uh, cheesy.
0: I love a cheesy title.
1: I know, I saw your paper. <laughs> <laughs> so those are my things.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely agree on the, on the clarity side because if you're clear, then it will be easy to reproduce your research. There will be robustness because there won't be multiple ways to interpret the data. And, um, it'll be clear that there is, like, you, you have good methods for, for what you are doing for the rigor. Um, yeah, for, for the most part, I think clarity for me is, is the main thing that I'm looking for when I'm looking for good writing. Um And, yeah, it's because we want to clearly state what we did, why it's important, and get that out to our peers. But just as you were saying, Zach, you know, there's other people besides our peers and scientists um, or, like, academic scientists that are actually reading our work. There's policymakers, um, people that work in government uh, that are trying to interpret what you've written, perhaps, to help manage uh, whatever they're doing a little bit better. I also thought that there's another
2: way to interpret those questions, and it's not even the content of the what you're writing, but it's what is doing good writing or practicing good writing. Um, you know, and we'll talk about this, I think, a little bit more at length, but just off the top of the head, you know, that's being consistent, having diligence, but also a lot of patience and forgiveness of yourself.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think a lot of the three R's in this case, they really kind of reflect... Method development to me, mm-hmm. like that is very. Those three R's are really common when you're looking at developing your own method, testing your own method. It must be rigorous, it must be reproducible, and it must be robust so that it can be carried on through multiple labs. And so, I think that's probably what that article is kind of going at. So, uh, I haven't read it, but uh, that's something that should be in the back of your mind whenever you're writing and also when you're doing science in general. Story time.
2: Storytelling. So one of the things we kept talking about, right, was this idea of clarity. And the way to create a clear paper is to have a clear narrative, right, is to understand the trajectory of your paper um, and thinking about what you are talking about as a story. Um, This is uh, stemming from a article published. Stemming. (laughs) Lols. From an article published in Nature relatively recently by Eric Buenas um, that talks about not only ta- you know creating a, a storyline for your paper, um, but really resurrecting the excitement of the science within it. So stories are a lot more exciting and fun to listen to when it's clear that the storyteller or you know the person who's writing the book or the article or whatever you happen to be reading is eager to share their findings with you. Um, You can sometimes tell when somebody's just done a paper because they needed to get a pub out um, versus somebody who's really slaved away at this or even just was really excited about what they found or what they did. And it does translate between an easier read and something that you might have to struggle with a little bit harder. Um, And a couple of big points from the paper um, are, you know, to tell a story. Um, And a couple of ways that he can he suggests doing this is considering how people read your paper. Um, So if you think about, you know, you pick up an article and there's a couple of different ways you might try to digest it, Um, really consider how your audience is going to interact with your piece of literature. Um, A lot of times people look at the abstract and then they immediately jump to your figures. Um, So do you guys do that when you you read
0: papers sometimes? Do you just go abstract figures? I'll skim it really fast, but I mean, it kind of depends on what I'm looking at that paper for. Um, so if it is, oh, I want to see their results. Yeah, I will just jump to the figures.
1: Uh, same case, and most most of the time, I'll just look at the figures if I'm looking for results because I should be able to glean all the information I need from the figures. Maybe a conclusion glance if that's provided, but if it's straight up methods, going straight to the methods. Yeah,
2: um, and kind of one other piece that I thought was really interesting from this article. Um, was highlighting a link to a current topic, and I'm going to quote the article because I think he gave a really good example. Um, So Eric says, for example, last year a colleague and I reported finding elevated levels of lead in the blood of a person who ate meat from animals he had shot with lead bullets. In the cover letter and manuscript, we highlighted the 2017 reversal of a ban on lead ammunition on certain U.S. federal lands. We linked that policy change to the increased risk of lead exposure to hunters and their families through eating wild game shot with lead bullets. And that immediately makes the story so much more interesting, I think, um, is when you can have that in your, not necessarily in your abstract, but in your conclusion or your discussion. I think it's really important. And he also talked about the importance of doing that in your cover letter, because if the editor sees why this is important or how it fits into the the quote unquote real world, um, it's more likely to make your paper get accepted. Um, so kind of all of that tying together um in terms of writing a story, you know, we tell you it's important, but like how do you actually do it? So whenever you write even a sentence or a paragraph or, you know, your whole paper, you you are writing a story. You're writing mini stories that all fit in together to maxi stories to fit in together the whole story. So every story has a character and an action in the sentence. Those stories have a logical flow through the paragraphs, and then those stories have certain points or central themes that are told through those characters and their actions, and that's the entire paper. So these stories are nested within a broader context of your subfield of science. So
1: a lot of the content that we're providing today comes directly from Writing in Science by Anne E. Green.
0: So now it's time for specific tips and tricks to accomplish that clarity. So one of the first ones we'll talk about is minimizing abstract nouns. So an abstract noun would be something like um, a verb, understand. and An abstract noun would be understanding. Verb, predict. The abstract noun would be prediction, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, why do you think we should minimize abstract nouns?
1: I think it makes it more concrete when you remove abstract nouns, which is kind of the idea of abstract versus concrete. That's just opposite words again, but I think it's important to make it seem more forceful and absolute when you use these non-abstract nouns or mm-hmm. and use the verb instead, like manipulate or manipulate it if it's past tense, so then you're focusing more on what you, the researcher, has done.
2: Yeah, I think that plays into the idea of, right, you know, even in your sentence, there's characters and there's actions. Your science is its character, and it does something. Or you, as the researcher, is doing something, and that's going to be so much more interesting to read or listen about. Um, is you know, hearing somebody's process kind of in quote unquote real time by seeing like, okay, you're part of it, you're, you're reading it and experiencing it um, a little bit more, exactly like Zach said, concretely, um, rather than hearing about it in this. Whimsical land of maybe this happened, but I don't want to hear about the maybe people. I want to hear about the real people and the real science.
1: Okay. So we're going to try something a little different, if not dumb on my part. Uh, we're going to try a game where I'm going to give uh, Kaylee and Danny a word, and I have to come up with the shorter version, because the goal of this exercise is to use shorter words. So abstract nouns are generally longer than the actual verb, unrelated. But at this point, we're trying to find longer words, or. Overused words that are generally longer than necessary, and cutting those back down. So to do that, I'm going to come up with words which I have listed, and these guys are going to attempt to give me the
2: shortest word possible for it. Is this like whoever gets it first? Yeah, Danny and I are far too competitive. For I know. This. I was I'm realizing like, it as I feel my blood pressure rising and I like know. game. On. I'm like, <laughs> no. what do we
0: get for winning? I I need to know. I don't care. It's the satisfaction. Does anybody of like winning. chocolate and peanut butter? Uh, yes, yes, but I think I should get that no matter what. Oh. <laughs> I, mean, I can earn give it, you so. a
1: um, chocolate peanut butter cookie bar.
0: Okay, I'm ready now.
1: I right, are you sure? I'm
0: sweating. <laughs> I'm so excited. My adrenaline is spiking. Let's do it. All right. All
1: right. So just to clarify, I'm going to give you a word. You need to come up with a shorter word off the top of your head. Shorter the better. I have long words, short words in exchange. Y'all ready?
2: Yes.
1: Implement. You must match my word on the key, though. What? Put it. Oh, one point for Danny. Yes, I'm keeping score. This is stupid, but I'm gonna <laughs> do it. All right, adhere, stay, mm-hmm. stick? stick, use, mm, stick. All right, develop,
0: create, make.
1: Mm, gotta go smaller. <laughs>
2: i will I'm say far too wordy for
1: this uh, game. Did I
0: win? Did I win yet? No. Oh, there's
1: yes. all, so many more. There are five. The six letters is the maximum sized word. Everything else is four to five or smaller. Okay. All right. Uh, retain.
2: Keep. I'm not good at this game.
1: Um, Utilize. Use. Ooh, use. Ooh. Okay. They beat you. Uh, <laughs> so terminate. End. Stop. Ooh. I forgot how to do Roman numerals. Those are Roman who, who got
2: that one? But like stop it? is you the same it. thing as
0: end. I know, but end is shorter. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Ascertain.
0: Oh um
2: This one's
1: hard.
0: Can you up? <laughs> I
2: forgot what that word means. Um find out, find, ooh, figure fine. out, out oh, a... okay. uh,
1: facilitate. Ease. Mm-hmm. Facile. That's greatness.
2: Create, make, find. Mm-hmm. Use. <laughs> That's
0: your go to. Um uh shit.
1: That help is a four letter word, but not is the it right. not help? It is help <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, endeavor, try. Oh, got one. Right. Uh, transmit, go signal, smaller. <laughs>
0: it's Six letters, <laughs>
1: <laughs> not that one yet. Transmit,
0: now I can only think of signal. <laughs> go, I said it already. No, um. Sign- no, fuck. I can't say <laughs> Listeners, if <laughs> you've come up with this by now,
2: but gosh, we're not doing great. Can you use it in a sentence? Maybe that'll help. Um, it might.
1: I often have to transmit my results to my collaborators.
2: Send. Thank you. Yes. Jesus. Okay, you're right. You're right. right. You were right. I think I get a half point for a good suggestion.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> Initiate.
0: Begin. Start. Start. Shit. Start. Um, So just to point out, though, that they're the same number but of it has letters. To so I should probably also get half a point. Just saying, if we're doing half points, alteration.
2: Yet change. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's the longest word. Uh, Investigation.
2: Search. Start. Find. Look.
1: Mm-mm. These all came from find. Green's book. No. Incorrect.
2: Investigation. Search.
1: Not quite. It's vaguer than look. That. She already said that. Oh
2: shit! Okay, sorry. More vague than to search, or than a search. Here's Begin? a dumb
1: reference. Um, Fifth Harmony would tell you should you don't gotta work. do the ah. There it is. mark I don't know that Fifth Harmony had a band.
2: Work, work,
1: they were. Mm-hmm. Four, mm-hmm. were four mm-hmm. part mm-hmm. harmonies. Alright, uh, prescriptions. Drug. <laughs> no. <laughs> I've got two more games after this, so we're gonna do a full round of us for the end of the session prescription I. Eye. what?
2: I said
0: no. prescriptions <laughs> I think it's more like a like a list what? Like is it prescription a prescription list? Pre, like a prescript like not a necessarily session? an Rx
1: sort of so think of it is uh the doctor no that's going back to do- medication <laughs> um Give. the dietician gave me the prescription diet I needed to lose weight
2: custom no nope, that's still long that's long <laughs> Standard. Still long. I'm getting closer. I feel like I'm getting closer. Routine. Still long.
1: Closest with that one.
0: Method?
2: No.
1: Drake would say it's God's blank. Routine. Routine. There you go. Routine? Ah, yes. God's routine. (laughs) Subsequent. Next, next. Yeah, Kaylee B. All right, so we've got two more games. (laughs) Oh, I'm still sweating. (laughs)
0: Okay, but like, can we have a total? Maybe. So
1: far, we've got (laughs) half. Fucking.
0: (laughs) You started it, so.
1: First round, eight point five from Danny. Kaylee, seven
0: point five. Ooh. Neck and neck. All
1: right, so with that, we're going to continue on providing our regularly
2: regularly scheduled content.
0: Let us know if you played along in your car. Hopefully, you did not crash.
1: Yeah, please don't crash. We're not liable for that.
2: I also want to know who else is as competitive as Danny and I are out out there.
1: I know. I didn't volunteer to be in the middle of all this. I'm just saying I was voluntold for this and I'm not comfortable. (laughs) So, with that, the goal is, of course, to use shorter words. At this point, you're communicating just as effectively and you have to be careful with that word count or letter count, however you want to work with it. Uh, Fewer uh, words, the better. Although you should effectively communicate. You don't want to be like Kevin from The Office, where a few words do good and work better. It doesn't make sense.
2: I can say, as somebody who's recently had to submit several abstracts where there was a 500 character count, including spaces, and there was multiple questions that required this, it really would have helped to have this exercise before. Because I'm like, why can I never make my thoughts shorter?
0: (laughs)
1: Thesaurus is your best friend. Thesaurus.com. I
0: I will say too that when it comes to using shorter words in, in my papers, sometimes my advisor will push back and say that I'm sounding a little colloquial, not a little, but that I'm sounding colloquial, um, that I'm basically writing how I speak. And so you might get some pushback from your, whoever you're writing with perhaps on this stuff, but, um, You can keep trying it, and I think there's certain ways to use shorter words that will make a sentence clearer, but without it sounding too chatty.
1: And you should always try to match the journal's tone more than anything. If Mm -hmm. most of the journals are a little, I want to say pretentious, but as long as they're using this flowery, yes, Mm -hmm. that works better, uh, then you need to try to match that style as well. Uh, But in most cases... Go with the gut of your PI. They're the ones who kind of make that final decision, particularly of where you're going to submit your paper to. So, next up, we've got another game, which I have to keep score on because this is what I
2: volunteered for. Voluntold.
1: Just kidding. All
2: right, you, so, you're you the one who decided to keep score, for the uh, record. I
1: did.
0: I, I also might have demanded it.
1: So, sure. we're going to talk about rejecting... or. Uh, just <laughs> we're going to talk about omitting extra words and I just gave the first one away so we're not going to do that so I'm going to give you a phrase three to f- more words uh, you need to give me the shortest single word answer that I can come back to so did not consider reject I, I said I was skipping that one I know but it could
2: also be reject <laughs> ignore
1: cool. ignored. it's tied now just throwing it out there does not have
0: Project. Absent. Oh, absent.
1: Lack. Damn it. <laughs> not the same.
0: Different. Different. Ooh. Ty, don't give any points.
1: I was just going to give both a, a point. Okay. It was already made the mark. Uh, not possible. Impossible. Impossible. That was also another time. It's a little weird that y'all are on the same brain.
2: We're today. starting to sync up.
1: <laughs> not many. Few. Few. Ooh, Kaylee beat you on that one.
0: Oh, I, <laughs> I
1: have ears. I came hear. If not, we can go back to the tapes. <laughs> Did not allow.
0: Refused. Disallowed.
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> Neither of those were
2: correct. Um, uh, Forbidden? Forbid.
0: Forboden. Sorry. Mm.
2: What's the opposite of permit? Reject.
0: <laughs> I love really, how you um,
2: can't let that go. just really <laughs> want
1: reject to the answer.
0: But it's not. W- Stop. What is it again?
1: So did not allow.
0: Did not include no. <laughs> <can't just> <laughs>
2: like too many that- words. <laughs> did not permit. No. I don't think I've made just, it any shorter. What is Do the know. opposite of allow? Disallow. Deny. Uh mom and dad denied my ability to leave the house. <laughs> this is amazing.
1: <laughs> not quite there. So it's like um, getting the
2: opposite of permission.
1: Taking the flu vaccine did not allow me to get the flu this flu
2: season. Maybe you should just tell us, and then we can move prevented. on. Prevented. Oh, come Whatever. on. Reject or, like, deny would have been... Deny is also shorter.
1: This current score is 10.5 for Danny and 12.5 God for Kaylee. God damn it.
2: Okay, but Kaylee also should have 13.5 because deny is better. No. <laughs> <laughs>
0: denied. Get it. <laughs> exactly. Did not allow.
1: <laughs> I prevented you from gaining any more points than I <laughs> All right.
0: So. Another tip is to keep your terms the same. And I know you're probably thinking, well, but doesn't that get repetitive? But it will make it much clearer and easier to follow throughout a sentence. So, you know, don't use a transition word 15,000 times like my favorite transition word is however but when you're talking about um something in your research you don't want to come up with 15,000 different ways of referencing a, a cell or, or a body of water or a body of water the lake,
1: the sea
2: other words for bodies of pond water. Pond, pond but those are River. all you know different you know i think it would be like
0: or like vegetation, trees, Tank. shrubs, whatever. Right. Just Plants. whatever you're talking about, make it, <laughs> make it consistent and it'll make it easier to follow throughout the paper.
1: It also means the reader has to use less brain power to try to remember all the words and sync them together that they are the same. The mm-hmm. reader can get through their statement easier. And that's what you want. The reader to have fun and not necessarily have fun. Learning isn't always fun. But uh, you want the reader to uh, completely understand what you're trying to convey as easily and as quickly as possible.
2: So all of this goes on to... Ah! Don't surprise your reader! Oh my god. (laughs) You want to have some flow. You want to lead your reader by having good sentence structure and paragraph structure.
1: I feel like that alone goes out to all the people who say we keep them asleep at night when they're driving. So <laughs> you're welcome.
0: <laughs> Take that. <laughs> okay. Do You want another round to yes. see if you can win or yes. not? Yes. Yes. Where are yes. we going with this?
1: Uh, right. No, because I'm winning. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, I will give you a phrase, and you need to give me two a single word to two words to describe what I'm saying. So just transition it to make it smaller. So in this study, we assess. We, we assess. assess. That's. Mm. Can I give that one I'll, to you? No. Conduct an investigation. Conducted. Investigate. Ooh, investigate. Conducted. Let a train. Uh, <laughs> it is now science train. Science <laughs> train. It is now tied. We're responsible for.
2: Responsible for. Hmm. Mm. This
1: one's odd. Single word.
2: Um, like is that a contraction or is that like something? Just it we're work?
1: responsible for. Blank was responsible for work. Links were responsible for because it's plural and I had to fix that.
2: Did, close were made, became, came about, caused. (laughs) There it was. I like how everybody gets to hear my thought process.
1: (laughs) Played a role in.
2: Helped, developed, started, created, contributed to.
0: Is this another one that's just one?
1: And it links back to the first word of the last I statement. I
0: hate everything. Already forgotten that.
2: <laughs> Responsible. Were. There it is.
1: <laughs> in order to. To. For the following reasons. Because. Yep. Nice. Y'all are t- tied. Uh, not tied. Uh, during the course of or during the process. During. Of, correct. Uh, in the absence of.
2: Without nice
1: uh located in located at
0: at yeah yeah
1: <laughs> super hard isn't it <laughs> in the vicinity of near near an example near. this is the fact that that is two different phrases
2: what oh are you is it like a slash yeah it's like okay can you just say it again
1: in an, an example semicolon this is the fact that
2: for
0: example this?
1: for example. Oh. The final score is. I don't.
0: I don't want to hear about it.
1: Too bad. Thirteen (laughs) point five and twenty point five to Kaylee.
0: God damn! I'm a very visual. Well, no, I won't qualify it because you did a really good job. Thank you. Did you notice I was staring very hard at the wall? (laughs) Around the. I could hear the intensity in your voice. It was really great. Okay, so
1: with that. We're going to talk about sentence structure. So the importance of sentence structure is to keep your subjects and verbs close together. Environmentally sensitive solutions to problems associated with continued population growth and development will require an environmentally literate citizenry. One, I just love the word citizenry. (laughs) So in this case, we were trying to put the subjects and verbs together. And in this case, we're going to try to substitute this with one is will require, develop, anything like that. That is the verb we're using in this case. And then who is doing the action in this step. So we will need environmentally literate citizens to develop sustainable solutions to problems of human growth and development. So now you're saying who the focus is, who will be doing it, and keeping those subjects and verbs together
0: makes a sentence a lot clearer, which is really nice.
1: Yes. But it also loses the word citizenry, so. Mm, is Doesn't it win in your book. Not in my book, only because I haven't seen that word in a while, since I citizenry. last ran this workshop.
2: <laughs> you could <laughs> still I, say. I can't read. We uh, will need environmentally literate citizenry to develop. You could still keep it in.
0: Good. And citizenry is just kind of a fluffy word. Like, do For you citizens. really need it? <laughs> yeah. And if we're which, talking about using shorter words, just saying. But does it spark joy? Yeah. Well, I guess for him, Citizenry sparks joy, so he has to keep it.
1: Thank you, Marie Kondo. Next <laughs> step of this recording, take it away, Danny.
0: <laughs> so, the next thing that I always find really helpful to remind myself about is paragraph structure. So, using that issue statement and then developing that statement and then having a conclusion. We're not going to give you an example because I'm not reading you two paragraphs. Um, So really each paragraph should have a topic or issue that tells the reader what the paragraph is going to be about. Um, And that's what is called the topic or issue statement. Once you establish that topic, oh, actually, let me say one more thing about the topic or issue statement. It doesn't have to be just one sentence. It could be one or two. After you establish what that paragraph is going to be about, you're going to lay out well-defined steps to lead to a conclusion. So you're basically developing your topic or issue statement. And you're going to give examples or present an expert opinion or qualify the issue in some way. Sometimes the issue statement is a question that the development will then answer. And finally, your conclusion is going to end the paragraph, as you might imagine. And it serves as a comprehension check. You might have just dropped a lot of knowledge on people in your, on that, uh, with that paragraph. And so this statement, this conclusion statement is going to give the reader something to think about or help summarize all the information you just gave them. And so it gives the reader a moment to digest before really moving on to the next statement, aka the next paragraph.
2: I also like to think about the conclusion kind of as a trampoline, where it does the things that you're talking about, but it also points the reader in the direction that you're about to be going. Yeah. Um, Because I think that really does help keep people's brains kind of on one track, is when one idea springboards you kind of to the next, and you can really follow the thought process. Um, When I was in uh, high school, my AP English teacher liked to do this thing where he would say, tell me what you're going to tell me, and then tell me, and then tell me what you told me. Mm -hmm. And obviously don't do it in a way that it sounds repetitive and as boring as the tell me, tell me, tell me (laughs) does. But I think that's kind of the very quick and dirty way to think about a paragraph is tell me what you're going to tell me, tell me, and then tell me what you told me.
0: Yeah, and it's part of the story structure too, you know, start the story so everyone knows where you're starting and then develop the story and then end it. So another way to improve clarity in your writing would be to use active voice instead of passive voice when appropriate. So you may have heard these terms before, passive voice and active voice. And basically the difference is where you're putting the emphasis. So active voice would be a biologist counted whales. So it's really about where you put the emphasis. So in passive voice, you would say whales were counted. So the emphasis is more on the counting, more on the method, versus active voice would be the biologist counted whales. So the emphasis there is on the biologist doing the counting. And in a narrative format, it tends to be easier to follow active voice than it is passive voice.
2: So why is passive voice considered bad in some places? This tends to be a heated conversation between the two parties. Um, there's pro-passive and there's anti-passive, and then there's me, which is just the passive fist.
1: <laughs> As a person who had to watch your competitive ass come out for a game <laughs> with words, pacifist is not the word I would use to describe either of you.
0: <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily say passive voice is bad. Uh, maybe not bad, but it it's how we used to write. And it's how scientists have gotten really used to writing, where you're really emphasizing kind of the methods and the and the science instead of emphasizing um, what some people think with the active voice is that you're emphasizing the biologist and it's kind of, it's not objective. So in the past, it's been seen as passive voice is objective and active voice is subjective. But It's just a writing style, you know, and and writing passive voice saying whales were counted. Just because you're writing that way doesn't mean you're being an objective scientist.
2: It probably also has something to do with, you know, how we were originally taught how to write. If you think all the way back to the days that we were in English classes, it was a huge no-no to have the words I, me, we in any of your upper level essays, you know, when you're talking about book reviews or um, yeah, anything really that's not just like an argumentative essay or a persuasive essay. And even those, it's questionable um, if you should be using those kinds of language. So I think a lot of it comes from how we were, exactly like you were saying, how we were taught. And it goes way back to the fundamentals of how we were taught how to write in the first place.
1: Okay. So why use active voice instead? It reflects the way we speak to each other in person. It often uses fewer words, and the using active can be a way to cut text down. So if you're speaking or writing more actively or in active voice, you're often using fewer words. It's more clear. It's easier to understand what was done. Um, having a direct character action goal order is easier to follow for most readers as you're taking your subject and verb or your character and action close together.
2: So if we're having a conversation about passive voice and active voice, how can you identify when you're using one or the other in your own writing? So a lot of times the passive voice uses the verb to be, not always, but often. Uh, And one example of a kind of quick and easy way to tell if your sentence is passive uh, is to use the by zombies method. And this came from Professor Rebecca Johnson. Um, who's the vice president of academic affairs at Marine Corps University. So one way to do this is to think about Danny's example. So if you add by zombies at the end of the sentence, it makes sense. So think about Danny's biologist counted whales versus whales were counted. Only one of those, the second, makes sense. Whales were counted by zombies because (laughs) the subject has not explicitly already been given as of who were doing who was doing the counting, so you can provide whatever one you want, and in this case, zombies adds a fun little twist. So that kind of leads into not only identifying your passive voice, but deciding when it's okay. So a lot of us um, have conflict with RPIs, and I think Danny has got a really fun stories about that. <laughs> um, but typically, um, methods section is is one that's not very contested. Over when it's a good idea to use passive voice. A lot of times people will use the passive voice in the methods section because it keeps the subject consistent um, and it, in general, kind of makes it, like Danny was suggesting earlier, a little bit more objective. These are the way the methods were done, not necessarily the way that you did the methods, um, but this is more of a broad, sweeping, you know, you're not gonna argue necessarily really base methods. Um, And, you know, you don't have to say, I did this. It can just be, this is the way it's done.
0: Yeah, and the idea there, too, is that when you keep the, maybe the authors out of the methods, so using passive voice, it really emphasizes the methods themselves instead of emphasizing who has done the methods. So uh, that's definitely most often, and you can actually go into journals and check. Um, so I've, I've done this recently where I looked at a journal trying to see if they're going to be okay with me using active voice or if I should be using passive voice and when. And I can actually check and, you know, control F and look for we and see how often in, it is in certain sections, if they have it in methods. Um, and that tells me like how I need to structure my paper so that it's going to fit with the, the journal's expectations.
1: Are we all in agreement that I is still a no no?
0: I think I is a no no unless you're literally the only author.
1: Yeah. I always, but I, it's rare. Well, I mean, there are a lot of people who are just first authors and only authors, but I've always been told to never use I when writing a paper, regardless. But that comes up to also essays from English as well that like Kaylee mentioned earlier.
2: Yeah, I think that, I mean, that makes just a lot of sense because when you're writing this, it is oftentimes representative of a collaborative effort. Mm-hmm. And to say I would just be, I think, really disrespectful to everybody involved, even if they didn't do that ex- explicit experiment, you know, everybody kind of played a part in this paper overall. So it should always be a we. Exactly. Yeah.
0: A question that um, I often get asked and, and that um, we mm-hmm. often hear about in uh, Zach's writing workshops is, you know, what if my advisor doesn't want me to use active voice. And that's definitely something that can happen. So like we mentioned earlier, you may have to conform your writing style to what your, um, what your advisor wants and expects, or you can be like me and tell your advisor to stop changing all your active voice to passive voice um and hold your ground. <laughs> um but it really is about like your choice. So you know, why was I choosing to make this particular sentence active voice? For me it makes the sentence so much clearer, but it's not like so I have a paper I'm going to submit in just about a week. And it's not like the entire thing is all active voice methods are passive. And then even within the rest of the text, I have sentences that are passive, but it's been a really conscious choice on my part. So when my advisor goes in and edits and literally all he's changing is active voice to passive voice, but not actually changing the essence of the sentence, you know, I tell him, Hey, you know, we have different writing styles, but I've checked with this journal and, you know, Other people are using we and they're using active voice and, you know, methods are passive. And so I've conformed my paper to that. But, you know, these edits going back and forth between active and passive and passive to active um, are just like wasting both of our time. So let's just move on.
2: Yeah. And I think, I mean, you obviously do want to listen to your advisor. There's a reason that they are your mentor, the person who kind of is helping guide you. But at the end of the day, if, especially if you're the first author on this paper, it's your paper. Mm-hmm. And they need to respect you enough to realize that you're putting your name out there and you want to be okay with the way it's done. And, you know, you're not just meant to be a clone of your advisor. And hopefully, you know, I know I know yours fairly well and mm-hmm. I can think that he would have enough respect to, to let you do that.
0: Yeah, and that was an easier sell than my cheesy title. He <laughs> was having an actual meltdown as I was telling him the title stays. Um, but obviously if the reviewers don't like it, I will change it, but I love it. Cheesy all the way.
1: <laughs> uh, so as we mentioned as an early disclaimer, we are not the end all be all source for all of this. We're going to provide you with some interesting and useful sources. Um, no. so first off, again, this came from Anne E. Green's, uh, writing science in plain English. Uh, we also have the scientist guide to writing by Stephen B. Hurd. Writing Science, How to Write Papers That Get Cited and Proposals That Get Funded by Joshua Schmel. Schmel? Schmel. Schmel. And lastly, uh, How to Write a Lot by Paul J. Silva. Um, How to Write a Lot mainly focuses on just actually getting through the writing process, which we'll discuss more in episode two.
0: two. Well, well, rather episode 10, but the next episode in this series. series.
1: Episode 10 uh one thing we do recommend is that you try your resources on your own campus for example you might have a campus writing center for graduate students not necessarily just undergraduate students Uh, if not a writing center you might look for quiet spaces that you can either check out or use at your own time with maybe a little booking involved and then look for a writing group either in your department or in your building or in your College, anything you want to try, try to find a writing group or start one yourself, which will also go into more detail on episode two as well. Uh, and then lastly, you might look for a dissertation support group. This is those who are just getting close to the end of their time at graduate school and are working on their dissertation. Sometimes you need a little bit of a push to finish it. I know I do. So in summary, which I will not sing, we discussed about the importance of the story and clarity of your writing, as well as tips and tricks to keep it simple. We also discussed the importance of flow and active and passive voice.
2: Thank you so much for listening. Next time we'll be talking about submitting your shit. Danny, Zach, and Brooke will discuss exactly how to start writing, feedback, co-author conversation, selecting the right journal, impact factor, and copyright.
0: We are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as STEM Culture One Word Podcast. Search and you shall find. And when in doubt, visit our website at stemculturepodcast.com for show notes, references, and information about our guests and contributors. And uh, Danny makes the website, so please actually go visit it. Also, on another note, please review us on um, iTunes or, well, actually, I guess it's Apple, Apple Podcasts now. Um, we really, really appreciate it.
1: Until next time, don't forget to consensually hug a grad student or at least buy them a coffee or a London Fog hot tea with extra vanilla. And if you have a little chocolate syrup, I think it becomes a London smog. I just made that up.
0: Wow, you're clever.
1: Smoky.
2: I was really <laughs> hoping that you were just going to say that with like a lot of like definitiveness. Like, nope, you're going to add vanilla and chocolate syrup, and now it's a London smog. End of conversation. You're a tea expert.